I will say that a lot of good has come out of my cancer diagnosis. At one time it seemed really dark, but there is a rainbow at the end of the storm. Hi, I'm Rebecca and I love helping women get outside and onto the trails. I'm a small business owner, outdoor educator, ski instructor, wife, and mother navigating the world as a breast cancer survivor. I'm here to answer your questions about life, entrepreneurship, parenthood, health, and the pursuit of hiking trails, abundant sunshine, and warm campfires. If you're a woman looking for answers, you're in the right place. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's chat. This is the Hike Like a Woman podcast. Today on the podcast, we talk about cancer. And so I just want to put a little disclaimer out there. This topic can be really intimidating, really stressful, really overwhelming, and really emotional. So I just want to recognize that if you're a cancer patient out there, your experience is probably going to look really different than my experience. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing. And even if you're not a cancer patient, maybe you're helping a friend go through cancer, or maybe you're just curious about what a cancer diagnosis feels like, then keep listening because today's show is for you. Today, I have a question from Jane. And just a reminder, if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the show, all you got to do is hit me up with a DM, hike like a woman at Instagram. You can also send a text message or a voice message to 307-703-0358. That's the hike like a woman hotline. Or you can send an email on over to hike like a woman at gmail.com. This question came from Jane via email. Jane writes, Hi, Rebecca, I've just been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. I've been following your experience on Instagram and YouTube. And I'm curious, what is the one thing that cancer taught you? Whew, this is a big question. And I think for the first few months of my diagnosis and treatment, I was trying to rationalize it all with one big lesson, like, why did I can't get cancer? And what am I supposed to learn? And what's the big thing that I'm supposed to do now that my life has been prolonged? And actually trying to ask those really big questions was just stressful and exhausting. So, so Jane, instead of answering like the one big thing or the one thing that cancer taught me, instead I want to break like what I've learned um, by different stages of my cancer diagnosis, treatment, and then where I am now. So I'm going to just break it down because for me, this is like the best way to think about this question. And if you've been through this, I'm sure you'll recognize uh, something, feeling something similar throughout uh, different stages of your experience with cancer or helping someone through cancer or with any um, medical diagnosis or stressful thing in life, right? Um, so I think about my cancer in terms of stages, like I mentioned before. First of all, there is the, oh my God, I just found a lump phase. Then there's my diagnosis phase. Then there's surgery, chemotherapy, radiation. And right now I'm on the sixth phase of this, which some people call survivorship. I still have a hard time relating um fight language to my cancer experience. And there's nothing wrong with the word survivor or being a cancer uh, survivor. But to me, I haven't survived it yet. 
Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, so I call this final phase that I'm in right now, the recovery phase. So I found a lump on my breast. Um, and I found it during a self breast exam, which I hadn't been doing. But the day before I found my lump, I was actually um, visiting with my doctor because I was having some knee pain. So I'm at the doctor, uh, he's checking out my knee. Um, and then he just mentioned casually, oh, we need to get you on the schedule for a well woman exam. Um, and I was like, yeah, I need to do that. It's been a while. And then he said, have you been doing um, self breast exams? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you should probably do those. Um, and so the next morning in the shower, I did a breast exam and I found a lump. And um, I didn't panic initially. Uh, the first thing I did was get on the phone to try to call my doctor and I, I get my health care through the VA. Um, so I called the VA, tried to talk to a nurse, couldn't get through and uh, my doctor couldn't see me for another month. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to hang out with a lump in my breast for a month. And the, the lump was fairly large. It was about the size of my, of my thumb. Like I could feel it I could feel it. It felt like old Play-Doh. <laughs> and, um, and so I just drove myself on down to the VA, which is in a neighboring city. And um, I just, I didn't have an appointment. And I said, I need to see my doctor uh, like today, like right now. And I'll wait as long as I need to, but I'm not going to leave here until I see my doctor. So I found a lump. And the doctor said, okay, we need to, you need to have a diagnostic mammogram and an ultrasound and we need to just figure out what's going on and then he ended that sentence with I'm sure nothing is wrong um, and that was not that that language I'm sure nothing is wrong uh, was challenging for me to deal with because in my heart I felt I felt like something was wrong okay so during this whole lump phase before I had my diagnosis um, the one thing that I learned was that I needed a friend. And um, I'm going to cry thinking about this friend, but I feel like I have a lot of acquaintances in my town. And I feel like I have friends too, but there's different levels of friendship. And there's the friends that you can call in the middle of the night when something is wrong. And then there's there's friends that you can, you know, have a conversation with when you run into them at the grocery store. So I, I knew that I needed to talk to someone about what I was going through. Um, my husband was also going through a lot of things too. So he needed to process this, um, does my wife have cancer or not, on his own. And I needed to process it in my own way. And, and I needed to tell someone. So I texted my friend and I said, I need to talk to you. I just have something that I need to talk to you about. Um, can we grab coffee and... Um, and then I talked to my friend about what I had found and what I was going through and the waiting process. And she's been amazing throughout the whole diagnosis. So she knows who she is and she's probably listening right now. And so thank you. And that was, I wanted to just tell one person. And the reason I wanted to just tell one person was because I didn't want to make a big deal about it if it wasn't anything. But I also didn't want rumors to start and I didn't, and I wanted to keep that information really close. And I wanted to 
control like the message. And that comes back to just owning a large business in a small town and knowing a lot of people and being really established here. I didn't want rumors to start about me having cancer if it turned out to not be cancer. And so this person was someone who I could really trust to keep that close and to trust to keep it in confidence. And so during that lump stage, I learned the importance of friendship. A funny story. Um, we So when I, when I texted my friend and was like, I just got to talk to you about something, we went to a local coffee shop. And at this local coffee shop, there was actually like a naked bust with nipples and boobs, like high up on a shelf at this coffee shop. And so I'm talking to my friend about finding a lump in my breast and the emotions that I'm dealing with and looking up and seeing like this naked um, like mannequin bust. It was just really bizarre. So anyway, uh, during that first phase, that's when I learned I needed to have a friend and a friend that I could really rely on and, you know, a breast friend. <laughs> so um, friendship's really important. And it's one thing that's helped me get through lots of challenges, not just with breast cancer, but with life in general. Okay, so that moves us on to phase two. And during phase two, that's my diagnosis phase. So that's the phase where I I had found my lump. So I had had my diagnostic mammogram, my ultrasound, and then I had a, a biopsy to confirm the diagnosis cancer or the, the cancer diagnosis. When they actually did my mammogram and my ultrasound, they they gave me a score and it was a very like high score. I had like a 99% chance of, of breast cancer. So so I I pretty much figured I had breast cancer once that mammogram was complete. But it was confirmed with a biopsy. And that's when things got really stressful and when things got really scary. Because all of a sudden with this diagnosis, I had to make a lot of decisions. I had to make a decision about genetic counseling. I had to make a decision about where to have my cancer treated, if I was going to stay here and do that locally, if I was going to go to a larger city. Um, The VA does not treat breast cancer. So um, I had to work with the VA to make sure that I could get anything related to breast cancer covered at the place where I chose to be treated. Um, I also had to make decisions about things like um, how to tell my employees and what to do with my outdoor retail store. I had to make decisions about how to tell my family, how to how to tell my children. And um, and I found that phase really stressful because there was a lot of phone calls and there was a lot of unanswered questions. And I knew, um, I knew after um, my first appointment with the oncologist that um, surgery was the next step. So at that, at that diagnosis phase, my next step was to think about my surgery options. And that was mostly um, whether or not I was going to have a uh, double mastectomy or uh, a lumpectomy. And um, we'll talk about that more in a second. But during that diagnosis phase, it was really, like as I said before, it was really scary and really stressful. And I was also concerned with how much do I share about this diagnosis? Like, do I do I have to open up about it on Hike Like a Woman? Um, I didn't want Hike Like a Woman to just turn into this cancer page 
and it's been and so it was, I didn't know how much to share and um, I ultimately just decided to be really transparent about it on Hike Like a Woman and in hindsight I feel like that was a really good decision because so many of you reached out to me to share your experiences with cancer so many of you sent me books about cancer or um, articles podcasts um, and so that was really really wonderful what I learned during the diagnosis phase was that I needed to accept where I was. And during this phase, I felt really, I felt really let down by my body. Like I went from this strong, healthy body where I was guiding women on big backpacking trips and carrying a heavy pack and where I was teaching six, seven cross-country ski lessons a week. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't eat a lot of garbage. I exercise. Um, I, I, I couldn't figure out why I had done all the right things with my health just to be betrayed by this cancer diagnosis. And so there was a lot of um, kind of accepting that I had cancer and my life was going to change forever. And um, learning to not blame myself for this cancer diagnosis, like I didn't cause it. And then um, accepting that I'm not really in control of my treatment options, but I am in control about my treatment decisions. And so, um, so that's what I learned during the diagnosis phase, just to accept where I was and accept what was about to happen to me. The third phase that I went through with the cancer diagnosis was surgery. And as I talked about before, I had to make a lot of decisions about my surgery. The first decision that I had to make was, where am I going to have my surgery? Did I need to go to a big hospital and um, have see a, a breast a, a specialist, a, a surgeon who specializes in breast surgery, um, and then what kind of surgery I was going to have. So I was prepared to have a double mastectomy. Um, my mom had a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy because she's BRCA2 positive, which is a genetic mutation that puts you at a high risk for breast and ovarian cancer. Um, several of my mom's sisters are BRCA2 positive. My grandma died of breast cancer and she was BRCA2 positive. So I had had genetic testing about a decade ago when this family history started coming to the surface. And that genetic test had said that I was negative for the BRCA2 gene. My sister was positive. Um, so I had just assumed that I, I was like not going to get breast cancer because I tested negative for this gene. So when I got this cancer diagnosis, my oncologist um, and surgeon both agreed that I should get retested. So I should get genetic testing again to determine whether or not maybe I got a false negative the first time. Because um, it's pretty unusual to have like such a, a strong family history of, of cancer, of breast cancer, and then um, to get breast cancer and not have that genetic mutation. So I decided to get uh, genetic testing again, and that test came back that I was 
again, BRCA2 negative. So I did not, so I do not have this genetic mutation that puts me at a high risk for breast cancer. So I got the genetic test results like 24 hours before my scheduled surgery date where I was scheduled to have a double mastectomy. And so um, we made a quick change with the surgeon and decided that I would just go for a lumpectomy. Um, And after thinking about um, wanting to, I I wasn't quite ready to have a mastectomy. I wanted to um, have a lumpectomy instead too, because the um, survival rates are pretty high. I felt confident in my surgeon's ability to get out the cancerous tumor. And also I wanted to have some remaining breast tissue that could, um, so that I could have mastectomies in the future, um, just as an increased surveillance um, thing. So, so I, I made the decision to have a lumpectomy. That was a, that was um, a fairly complicated decision, but my husband and I both felt really comfortable with that. I knew that if I had to have a lumpectomy, that that would also require radiation treatment. And so I was I was fully prepared to have a mastectomy and have radiation. The thing we didn't know before surgery was whether or, was whether or not I would need chemotherapy. And that was all dependent on something called my oncotype score. And that is basically a, a score that um, tells you the likelihood of your cancer recurring. So the day before surgery, we did a quick switcheroo from a mastectomy to a last, to a lumpectomy, and then there was a massive snowstorm. So my mom was going to fly in to help me um, after the surgery and watch the kids during the surgery, and <laughs> my mom couldn't get in, which was okay. So her flight was delayed, and then um, like like hours before, like the afternoon before surgery was supposed to take place, um, my surgery had to be rescheduled. So it got rescheduled. I had another weekend to play outside and enjoy the snow. And then I went in for surgery. And um, the surgical procedure itself, it was like my first time ever having a surgery. I'd only been in the hospital to have babies previously. And uh, and so I, I was a little nervous going in. Um, but the surgical procedure was was fairly easy, and the recovery was fairly easy. Um, the surgeon did remove um, three, I think three, maybe five lymph nodes, and so I did have some really significant, like sharp shooting pains um, in my armpit area um, after my surgery. So, so it took. It, it, it took a little time to heal and to recover. Um, and that's what I learned from surgery was like that I needed to just take this cancer diagnosis one step at a time. Because as I was recovering from surgery, I was waiting for the test results that would tell me whether or not I needed chemotherapy. And I was honestly quite terrified of chemotherapy. And so and so I was like trying to get ahead of myself thinking about chemo and radiation and all these, all these things. But I think during that surgery phase, I learned to just take it one step at a time. I also learned to show myself a little bit of grace and kindness. I posted on Instagram, uh, an Instagram story where I, 
like a couple weeks after surgery, I was sitting on the bleachers and my children were ice skating and we love, we like to ice skate a lot. And my children were skating around and they were just having so much fun. It was a Saturday afternoon and I was sitting on the bleachers all alone and I really wanted to be ice skating with my kids. I really wanted to be out on the ice. I wanted to be skating. I wanted to be happy and fun. I wanted to just not think about cancer, but I was just sitting in the bleachers watching in so much pain and um and I was really sad and I realized that if I can take care of myself, then I'll be back back on the ice with my kids. And if I just took it one step at a time, one day at a time, and showed myself a little bit of kindness and compassion as my body healed, because I needed to heal for what was about to come. And that brings me to the next phase. And for me, the by far the most difficult phase of of cancer. And that was chemotherapy. So after surgery, I got back my oncotype um, score and it was like 68. So I had an extremely high recurrence of cancer. And so that meant that I needed to start chemotherapy. And I started chemo, I think like three, maybe four weeks. I think it was four weeks after surgery. So my oncologist really wanted my body to heal and he wanted me to be strong and healthy uh, going into chemotherapy. So um, so I went in, I, I, I had a small surgery to put in my chemo port, which is this plastic thing. It's still in my chest um, where that's how my chemo drugs were administered. And um, I remember probably the hardest, the hardest day for me wasn't like my first day of chemo, but it was, um, I had to go and meet with a nurse and she sat me down and she sat my husband down with paperwork and she said, like, no shit, this is what's going to happen to your body and this is going to be how you feel and this is going to be really hard. And um, after that appointment, my husband and I just sat in the car in the parking lot at the cancer center and we just cried because we knew that what we were about to go through as a family was going to be extremely difficult. And it was. Chemo made me really sick. It took me to a really, really dark place. Um, I did not feel good. I was exhausted. Um, I couldn't even walk around the block without getting dizzy and lightheaded. My children would each hold a hand and walk me around the block. Um, when I would go upstairs to go to bed, my heart rate would just spike to 120 beats per minute. I spent a lot of time sleeping on the bathroom floor. I couldn't eat. My mouth hurt. My stomach hurt. It was just exhausting for me to take a shower and I know some people tolerate chemo really really well so if you're facing a cancer diagnosis and chemotherapy know that my experience is unique to me and and I met people who just like breezed through it and didn't have any problems and um 
And that's awesome. And I don't know why I suffered with chemo so much. And I think one one reason it was really difficult for me was that I was so used to like getting outside and moving my body and exercising and um and going to work every day and all of a sudden I just didn't have the strength to do those things and once you took away my ability once my ability to move was gone um or without getting sick um then 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 I just then it almost became this mental fight as well as a physical fight and it was really hard so I did four rounds of AC chemo, which is really, really intense chemotherapy. Um, and then um, I started Taxol, which is another chemo drug. And um, with my first dose of Taxol, I noticed that my hands and feet were starting to become numb and very, very painful. And that's that's called neuropathy, and that's a very common symptom with Taxol. And um, I instantly started to get concerned about this this numbness and this pain in my hands and my feet. So the oncologist was tracking how I was feeling. He prescribed some medications, and then I went in for my second dose of Taxol, and they wouldn't give the Taxol to me because, um, once again, like my neuropathy hadn't improved. It had gotten worse. And so then we paused chemo for a couple weeks to see if maybe the neuropathy would start to feel better or start to go away. But it kept getting worse. And so um, finally it got to the point where I uh, met with the oncologist and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not willing to risk permanent neuropathy. Um, I need, to, I need to, I need to have feeling in my hands and my feet. Like I teach ski lessons. I own a ski shop. I need to, I need to be able to use my hands and feet. This is not, this is not good. So there wasn't really any other chemo drug that we could put me on at that point that my oncologist felt comfortable with that. And so we decided to stop my chemotherapy early and early by like two months. And I was really nervous about this decision and really nervous about chemotherapy and really nervous about cancer coming back. Right. And so during this phase, as I had just been through so much with chemotherapy and where I'd felt so miserable and then finding my voice to say this this isn't working and I can't do this anymore um, took a lot of courage so during that chemo phase I would say the one thing that I learned was courage and to stand up for myself and to speak out uh, to my medical team when I felt like something wasn't right. And now that I am um, three months out of chemotherapy, I will say that that was the best decision that I made um, because I still have extremely painful neuropathy in my hands and my feet. In fact, I see an acupuncturist twice a week. I see physical therapy once a week. And I think that I'm going to suffer from neuropathy for the rest of my life. 
And um, if I would have continued on with Taxol, I believe that I would it would it would be debilitating. Um, so it was a scary decision. It was scary to stand up for myself, but I did, and I'm so glad. Um, the next phase of this um, of of cancer for me was probably the easiest phase and that was radiation so after chemotherapy we gave my my body a couple I think like a three weeks or so to recover and then um, I started radiation and I had three 33 sessions of radiation every single morning Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. And radiation was really great. I had one, like the, the radiation nurse, the radiation team at the cancer center was so cool. And the chemo team was great too. Like I had a couple of really special nurses who <laughs> were really fantastic. So, um, but um, during radiation, I started to feel better. My hair started to grow back. Um, I still was really low energy, but my stomach was feeling so much better so I could start to eat again. And um, during this radiation phase was kind of like, this was kind of like my insurance policy. It was me saying, okay, I didn't finish chemo, but, um, but radiation is what my body needs. And I was really lucky in that I had some some skin irritation, some burns, um, but it didn't happen until the last couple weeks of radiation. So for about, you know, four weeks, I felt pretty good. Um, but I was also dealing with some anger because I was really angry that I had just wasted a winter, right? Like I love to ski, I love to teach ski lessons. And I was really mad that I had wasted a winter. And as radiation kind of dug into the summer with these daily appointments, and then as my energy level started to drop as the treatments continued on, and as the burn started to show up, I got angry again because now I felt like I was wasting my summer. And my kids wanted to like go swimming and they wanted to go mountain biking and they wanted to go camping and they wanted to do all of these fun, fun things. And I just didn't have the energy to be that fun mom that I wanted to be. And that goes back into like during all of this up until that point, I had owned an outdoor retail store. I had sold my store. Um, kind of halfway through chemotherapy. And so I finally had a clear summer to just play with my kids, but I didn't have the energy to do that or the strength to do that. There was one time we had friends visiting and we went to play mini golf and I couldn't even get through nine mini golf holes without having to sit down and rest between them. And the whole time, like, my sweat was dripping into the blisters uh, and open sores on my armpits. And I was just really angry. Um, and so once again, I had to go back to like how I felt during surgery. And I was angry, but I had to remind myself, like, be kind. This is going to pass. And what you've been through is prolonging your life so that you can 
be there for your children as they grow up and for your grandchildren. And so just kind of a, a lesson in forgiveness. So that's what I learned. Kindness and forgiveness during radiation. And that puts me where I am now. And I finished radiation three weeks ago. And now I'm in that survivor phase. And I want to just talk really fast about the word survivor, words like fighting cancer. Um, I struggle with those words. And like I mentioned before, there's nothing wrong with them. But as a former army officer, as a veteran, as someone who has been to war, like literal war and fought, um, I just couldn't, I just couldn't bring those words into my terminology, into my vocabulary. Um, so a lot of people say you're in the survivor phase. And that's okay when they say that. And sometimes I do refer to myself as a survivor, because I'm just not really sure what else to call this. But right now I'm at that phase where I have just had this life changing medical diagnosis. And my body has been just destroyed by cancer treatment. Um, I am still really, really exhausted. I still don't have a lot of energy. I still don't have a lot of strength. You're seeing me um, pop up more on social media and on YouTube because I am like, I got to pay for cancer now. So now I, I have to find a way to um, make some money again, right? And I hate that, but uh, cancer treatment is not cheap. And um, so that's kind of what's going on personally. I'm also um, trying to prepare for my death. That sounds really cold and really morbid. But here's what I mean by that. I don't know if my cancer is going to return. It may never return, but it could come back tomorrow. It could be in my body right now, and, and I don't know. And I realized as I was going through the process of selling my business um, that I needed to have a plan. And so I actually didn't sell all of my outdoor retail store. I kept all of my skis and all of my ski equipment. And so now I'm just going to own a seasonal ski shop and I'm going to just sell skis, rent skis, teach ski lessons from November until the end of March. And so, um, right now I'm knee deep in preparing that business for my death. And that means that I am inventorying everything. I'm putting together a plan, um, getting the finances in order. So I know the the value of everything from my rental skis to my shop tools to my stone grinding machine. Um, so I'm preparing just in case something happens, the cancer returns and my husband needs to sell that business. Um, personally, my husband and I are setting up um, we are relooking at our life insurance policies. We are relooking our wills, um, making changes to the trust accounts that we have set up for our children. And um, that's just reality, and that's just how it is. Um, so that's the first thing I'm doing in this recovery phase is like I, I the lesson that I learned was I need to be prepared. Uh, I need to prepare my family. Um, the other thing that I am doing is I am... Um, also kind of putting up a protective bubble around myself. And I think that 
my cancer was likely caused, and they will never know this, but this is my theory. It was likely caused by exposure to um, burn pits on my deployment to Iraq when we had open air burn pits and everything from trash to human waste and medical waste would be burned in these massive burn pits. Um, I also think it might have been caused by drinking water from water bottles in Iraq that we would just like our water would come in big pellets of water bottles and often they would just sit in the hot sun. And I think a lot of plastics were leached into my drinking water and to um, everyone's drinking water, really. So if you were a female veteran and deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan and you were around burn pits, if you drank contaminated water, then by all means, start. Please start getting mammograms and checkups right now. So um, so right now, I... I I don't want to have like stress and inflammation in my life. I think that really contributed to my cancer and to the growth of my tumor. So I have put up a protective barrier um, and I am trying to insulate myself from stress and from anxiety. And that means that I am not working very much. It means I'm going to be very selective about who I hire to work in my ski shop this winter. It means that I am saying no to people and opportunities that arise if they don't feel right. And I just uh, posted a YouTube video about that. So go check it out. Um, It also means that um, I'm protecting myself from people who don't make me feel good. Um, and so I'm kind of putting up some protective walls. The other thing that's happening during this phase of cancer treatment is that I have started um, hormone therapy. So I am going to be on hormone treatment for the next five to 10 years. And I've also had to really work through these feelings of I've been so healthy. I've never, I've never considered, like I've never had to take daily medications. And um, I've been coming to terms with like the menopause that cancer has sent me in, like knowing that my body has changed. That's where I'm at. And during this recovery phase, I would say that the number one thing that I've learned is to take care of myself. And that means talking to a therapist. That means getting acupuncture for neuropathy. That means seeing a physical therapist for my neuropathy. Um, That means that giving myself permission, if I'm feeling stressed out or overwhelmed, giving myself permission to just close my computer, leave work, and do what I need to do um, until I feel better. And I I will say that I I just had an appointment where... I got some blood work, then I had to talk to a nurse about the hormone treatment and the side effects of my hormone treatment. And um, then I started my hormone treatment. And after going through all of that, I had to get an injection. I have to get a shot in my stomach every three months. Um, And after going through all that, I was just very mentally drained. And so I've, I've decided that on days when I have appointments at the cancer center, I'm going to schedule those appointments first thing in the morning, and then I'm just going to give myself the afternoon off to do whatever feels good. And if it feels good to lay on the couch and binge watch Below Deck, I'm going to lay on the couch and binge watch Below Deck. 
Uh, if it feels good for me to go for a walk, I'm going to go for a walk. If it feels good for me to go skiing, I'm going to go skiing, but I'm going to take the whole day off and not work on days that I have appointments at the cancer center because that brings up a lot of really difficult um, feelings and emotions for me at this point. This has been a really heavy podcast episode in a way it's been kind of therapeutic for me to talk about it. Thanks for just sticking around this long with me. And if you are out there and you're listening and you're still listening 40 minutes in and you've dealt with a life-changing medical diagnosis, I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I'd love to hear what you went through and what you learned from it. So go ahead and drop a comment on any of our social media sites and let me know what you think. And if you are out there and you're listening and you have a question that you'd like me to answer, all you have to do is text a voice recording to 307-703-0358. You can also open up your DMs on Instagram and send me a voice recording there. Or if a voice memo isn't your thing, you can send me a question to hikelikewoman at gmail.com or DM me on the gram because I spend way too much time on Instagram. So that's all I have for today. I will say that a lot of good has come out of my cancer diagnosis. At one time, it seemed really dark, but there is a rainbow at the end of the storm. And so if you're facing something like that, I want you to remember that rainbow is there and you're going to find it if you can just make it through the hard stuff. And that's not just about cancer or illness. That's about anything that we go through that's hard, right? Okay. So I'm going to sign off now and I will catch you next Friday on our next uh, podcast episode. Cheers. Here at Hike Like a Woman, our goal is to help you explore safely and with confidence. I want to make hiking and outdoor adventure safe and fun and simple for you. That's why I've created a PDF guide for you to share your hiking plan with friends and family so they know what to do if something happens to you on the trails. All you have to do is head over to hikelikewoman.com and check out our free guides section for a downloadable PDF friend and family hiking guide. Once again, you can find the guide at our website, hikelikeawoman.com. Come.